The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Ben with Bubba, something I want to talk to you about, and that is mybookie.ag. If you like play, placing a friendly wager on a sporting event, a political event, the Oscars, anything, mybookie.ag has you covered. We talk about the golf bets every week on the Always Pressing Podcast. They come from mybookie.ag. Got the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday. You want to go get the spread, over-unders, prop bets. They have all the prop bets. They even have a special contest, a 333-yard deal for a free $333 bet. They got it all at mybookie.ag, and if you really want to try them out, use promo code BENCHED, B-E-N-C-H-E-D, when you make your first deposit, and you'll get a 50% deposit bonus. So when you go to mybookie.ag, use promo code BENCHED, if you deposit $100, you get a free $50. If you deposit $500, you get a free $250. This works up to $1,000. So go to mybookie.ag, promo code BENCHED, for a 50% deposit bonus. Also, if you like playing daily fantasy sports, you know, all my podcasts involve DraftKings. We also love the app Draft. Draft Draft.com, Draft in your app store, is an awesome way to play fantasy sports. They started out with snake-style drafts. They introduced auction-style drafts. They have best ball drafts, AFYI. They just basically said they're coming out with MLB best ball drafts. Wait for it. It's going to be awesome. If you are new to Draft, though, use promo code SDSPORTS at checkout, and you'll get entry into a free $3 tournament of your choice. It could be an, an auction, it could be a snake draft, it can be a best ball, whatever you want. Use promo code SD Sports when you make your first deposit and you'll get an entry into a free $3 tournament of your choice. Last but not least, if you can give a, a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. It would help this podcast continue to grow and become bigger and better and help all of this out. So go to iTunes, give it a rating and review, preferably five star, but whatever you want, I want your honest opinion, I would really appreciate it. Now, to Bench with Bubba, episode 141 with our good friend Justin Mason. A friends of the fantasy benefits, sleeper in the bust, and much, much more. Previewing fantasy baseball third base positions.
And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 41. Going to preview the third base position, talk some other fantasy sports and whatnot. In order to a special guest of ours, special friend of ours, you can find him at Friends with Fantasy Benefits, The Sleeper and the Bust. Um, he's all over the place. There's probably many just fan, uh, fantasy alarm. There are so many of them that he is at. But most importantly, he's on Twitter at Justin Mason, FWFB. Justin, how are we doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. I'm uh, I'm glad we were able to make this timing work because uh, this is one of my favorite podcasts to come on to. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I think this is maybe the third time for you now. So you're you're up there with the the, the most uh, attended things. You know, like they say on Saturday Night Live. You know, I've done it five time club or whatever. Well, mm-hmm. you, eventually um, we'll pretend to get you a jacket for being a frequent member. Nice, um, nice. I'd like that. Yeah, but if anything, I'll uh, I'll get you a Coca-Cola or a Rockstar or Red Bull next Saturday in San Francisco. How about that? Yeah, I can't wait. Barf League time. It's uh, uh, going to be a lot of fun. We It's always a lot of fun hanging out with Sammy Reed and Doug Thorburn and Howard Bender. Got a, uh, at least one new admission in, uh, in Toby from uh, Bat Flip Crazy. Uh, and maybe a second, still kind of waiting on Eno Saris to give me the the thumbs up or thumbs down from the wife. So uh, it's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a ton of fun. If you're in San Francisco, uh, what on the ninth, uh, we'll be yeah. at the rec room uh, from about eleven in the morning till whenever it ends. Yeah, and it was a long one last time, so I'm saying I'm, I'm pretty sure we won't go as long. We'll be a little more diligent. I'm thinking. But uh, I'd say at least three or four. Will someone will be around there drafting or talking or hanging out? So I don't have safe. to be at work till midnight that night. So I'm and I get to be free from the wife and the kids mm-hmm. while I'm there. So I'm not going to like be taking off early necessarily. Yep, I'm with you there. I have a free reign for most of the day, so I'm good to go. It's a lot of fun. I had a blast doing it last year. A great group of people. It's a shame uh, Laura won't be with us, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, we'll we'll definitely you know. He'll be with we'll us in pour, spirit for sure. We'll, we'll pour one out for Laura for sure. So we'll, we'll have some fun with that. And the other thing I wanted to mention up, we're talking Barf League. Let's talk TGFBI. As, yeah. uh, this will be out later on Friday. It is still the last day to apply, I believe. But um, what do you got coming up? Anything you can mention cooking-wise? Well, it's moving over to NFBC, which is kind of a perfect home for – for the Invitational, for those who don't know, it's uh, uh, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational is a kind of a brainchild of mine that I've been thinking about for a number of years. Because while you know Tout Wars is kind of expanding uh, this year to add more people, for the most part, there's a ton of people in the industry that are never going to get a shot at a, at a Tout Wars or a Labor, and I thought I was probably going to be one of those that never get a shot. And so my dream was to come up with a way to give myself and people like me a shot at some of the big dogs in the industry. Uh, I think, you know, I don't know if I'm considered a big dog now. Uh, I think maybe some people would, I, I don't necessarily consider myself that yet, even though I've gotten into towers. Uh, but this has been a really great opportunity to kind of showcase uh, all levels of talent within, within the industry. Last year we had, 195 participants in 13 leagues. This year it's jumped. Uh, We've already got enough people for 21 leagues, uh, and we'll see where we get by the end of the day. Maybe we have 22 or 23 leagues, uh, though I think it's probably going to end up being 21. So, uh, But that's still over 300 industry professionals uh, competing in in 15-team leagues with an overall uh, kind of component that Clay Link won last year. 
uh, from Rotowire, and uh, he had a really impressive year aside from that. But uh, I, I think, at least in, maybe I'm biased because it's my competition, I think that is probably the most prestigious you know, win in the industry to knock down so many other people and kind of be at the top of that mountain. Uh, and Clay's a great guy in the industry, and uh, it was a well-deserved win. Uh, so it's going to be on NFBC this year, and which has its own <laughs> set of challenges and kind of different format. Uh, but I think it'll make things a little bit easier and a little bit cleaner uh, and a little bit more accessible for people. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It was a blast to do last year. Justin, um, I don't need to go into all the accolades that Justin has done for the community, as people probably know it by now. But it, just doing the TGFBI alone has been tremendous for the the lower rung people like myself to kind of get to to mingle with these people. So it's been it's been awesome and it's been a blast. And he's one of the the good guys in the community. So if for some reason you're listening to this that. podcast and don't follow Justin, I don't know what your problem is. But um, one last thing I want to talk about before we actually talked about analysis. Um, you over at the uh, Friends of Fantasy, Fantasy Benefits, you obviously have the podcast there. Um, Another podcast I want people to go check out if they're not already is your TGFBI podcast, which is outstanding because it's something different. One thing I did with Bench with Bubba that I liked, I didn't find out name it a fantasy sports podcast because I like the ability to kind of take it wherever you want. It's not like a strict, you are doing this, this, or this. Um, and something you have been doing this season, I love a ton. And it's something that I, I enjoy the interview aspect of some of these podcasts more than just the analysis part and what you did like with Joe Pisapia and others has been absolutely amazing. Like, cause there are so many stories like your story is great that you've told so many people, your Twitter feeds amazing. Like your deal with your daughter the other day, I was <laughs> dying laughing on that, but um, just people need to go check out that podcast and you, you got a lot in the works with that as well. But the thing I want you to promote, you have a like 7,000 word draft guide. Can you talk to us about that? Oh, yeah. God, the, page, uh, page, not words. Yeah. Page. <laughs> uh, it's uh, The Fantasy Benefit. Uh, it's the, our, our, our draft guide for Friends of Fantasy Benefits. Uh, it is 426 pages. Uh, it, if you're you know getting it on a PDF or, or getting it in the paperback, I don't even know what it's how many pages that turns out to be in an ebook form. Uh, it is, we, we did one last year. We got it out way too late because we were waiting on people to sign and we were, uh, kind of, you know, trying to get as much information into it as possible, uh, and just kind of fell behind. And so this year our goal was to get it out in mid January, uh, which we did. And it's gotten a a lot of great reviews. People are really enjoying it, but it, it kind of is different from a lot of the other draft guides out there. One, we, you know, we do a lot of strategy guides, which a lot of places do. Uh, we do uh, team previews, which a lot of places do. Uh, we did 30 farm system previews. Matt Thompson, Walter McMichael, uh, and Paul Martin kind of handled those, though. Matt did the majority of his uh, of them, and uh, he, he's doing some great work with us and then with Prospects Live as well, if, you have, if you've never checked out that site. Uh, but I think the main advantage it has is that we updated all draft season. And while most people are, are drafting out of magazine or picking up draft guides, you know, from different places, I think we're pretty much the only place that is doing continuous updates. It's been out for about 
uh, eight or nine, or maybe maybe eleven or twelve days, and I've already done six updates to it. So as people sign, as players get traded, as we start getting news and injury updates, uh, we're updating it continuously. And so you're going to get updated uh, depth charts, updated analysis. Uh, we have a whole injury section that is continuously updated by uh, Reuven Guy, who works uh, with me over on the TGFBI podcast. Uh, as well as working with Ariel Cohen over at Fangraphs uh, and has his own uh, uh, injury Twitter, uh, MLB Injury Guru. Uh, it just, it, it's, it's a huge guide. It's really, really inclusive. Lots of different things for lots of different leagues. But unlike a lot of guides, it, it's not going to become dated as things happen through spring training uh, and kind of closer and closer to draft season. Because let's be honest, most people draft in mid to late March and most draft guides are being finished and kind of uh, done in November, December, and January. So by the time you get to your draft, a lot of that stuff can be outdated. Uh, and so we continuously update it, uh, especially via PDF and the ebook. So if, if you can go over to Amazon and get the ebook for seven dollars and fifty cents, or the uh, the the paperback for thirteen ninety nine, or you can email me justinmasonfantasy at gmail and get a PDF, and then we obviously easily update the ebook that happens live on whatever device you're using. Uh, but the PDF, I continuously send out new PDFs every time I update. And if you get a paperback, just email me. And if you want the PDF, I'll add you to the list of, of the email list uh, for for uh, you to get those constant updates as well. Well, there you have it, folks. The hardest working man in the industry. He even (laughs) updates it over and over again. And individually will email you a PDF. Mm -hmm. So um, that just tells you pretty much everything to know about the man that is Justin Mason and the quality of work at Friends and Fantasy Benefits and all the other places. So go check them all out. Uh, Many of those members of his website have been on the show. Good, good people. Great content. um, and, And always super friendly and helpful. So go check them out. Go check Justin out if you aren't already for some weird reason. And go support the cause. $7.50 isn't a lot of money folks literally don't go have a big mac for lunch or something it'll be just fine <laughs> so go make it and this is coming from a guy that likes to eat so i'm just throwing it out there for you go uh, go read a little bit all right let's get into some analysis there are some kind of blah signings um which you, you probably have, are thinking like what are we talking about well they somehow do have fantasy impact which is the weird part um we'll start with houston astros they bring in wade miley kind of needed a lefty there Obviously, not going to replace Dallas Keuchel, but you know he, he threw a cutter last year, and it really changed things a bit for him. Uh, what's your thoughts on Wade Miley going to Houston? Is this something that is he the next spin guy they're going to develop and just all of a sudden jump off the map, or is he just kind of a flyer right now? I think he's kind of a flyer. For me, he's just a placeholder until Forrest Whitley uh, is ready, and Whitley will probably be up sometime in May or June uh, and take his uh, permanent spot in the rotation which likely means Wade Miley, unless Wade Miley is fantastic over the first month or, you know, month, month and a half, uh, he's going to lose that spot in the rotation. So I I know he made gains with the, with the added pitch in spite of the gains that he made, it wasn't like he was super fantasy viable. Uh, You know, he had a strikeout rate uh, that was uh, pretty uh, unimpressive at about uh, 14.8% strikeout rate. Uh, the underlying statistics don't really support what he did last year. And obviously he's not going to keep up a, you know, two, five, seven ERA, uh, but more than likely he balloons back up over four. Uh, if the strikeouts don't come back, at least uh, we're looking at a guy who's, 
is doesn't have a great ERA and doesn't have great strikeouts either. So uh, I don't really want anything to do with Wade Miley. I think he's an AL only pickup, but uh, I'd probably stay away from that format too. Yeah, I was looking at him yesterday and trying to justify how I can say, yes, go take Wade Miley. Then I'm thinking, you know, like maybe streaming options in a 15-teamer, mm-hmm. but I, I really don't There's see no the – price attached, which is like the exactly. only nice thing. But this move alone and going to Houston will will get a price. Like he's going to start mm-hmm. – like I think he's going around pick 500 in NFBC right now. You'll be going pick 300 for the next few weeks. Uh, and uh, there are guys around that spot that I, I prefer. Yeah, since January 1st and draft uh, draft Champions League is going around 525. And yeah, around then you can definitely find some other pieces to go with. All right, let's talk about an interesting one, only for the fact if you believe in miracles. But um, <laughs> Greg Holland signs with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we know he used to be an elite closer at one point in time. At the same time, he really faltered with St. Louis, kind of got it going again with Washington. We remember what Arizona did with Brad Boxberger last year until he fell off the map. He's going about pick 574. Is there any looks at Greg Holland to get your attention? Oh, only because I could see Arizona doing this in order to try to pump up his value and then trade him before the wheels come off again. So uh, – I have a little bit of interest in him in a super deep, like a draft and hold type lead, you know, where he's uh, where he, you know, I get him with like a 48th, 49th round pick in a 15 teamer because he was okay with Washington. Now there are still some uh, glaring uh, issues. Uh, one, uh, he he's he given up still over four walks per nine and the home run rate, uh, and the BABIP and the strand rate were all unsustainable. He had, you know, less than half a run, a home run per nine. He had BABIP of 186. He was stranding runners at a 97% clip uh, during that stretch. So, of course, his, his numbers were great on the surface. Uh, there's no way he can maintain that going into 2019. You know, maybe Chase Field helps a lot. The pitchers did get a lot of uh, help from that uh, from the humidor last year, so maybe that helps. But at the same time, uh, I worry that he isn't going to be able to kind of the blow ups are going to be too much, and uh, I don't know. They seem to not want to give Archie Bradley the full time closing job. Yeah, that's that just, the, that's that just the thing seems, that's got my attention. Yeah, that just seems to be the overarching theme is that. They 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 prefer Bradley in a multi inning role as a fireman, which makes sense from a real life baseball perspective. But from a fantasy perspective, it's infuriating because he's obviously the best uh, pitcher in that bullpen. Um, I just don't know that I trust this situation at all now. So aside from the fact that I don't think Arizona is going to be very good, and there may not be a ton of games to save, anyways. Uh, I don't really trust the situation. I'm, I'm kind of avoiding it altogether. Yeah, no, that's that's the tricky part. It's like I could see another book, like Brad Bocker part two. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's like Greg Holland is could be Greg Holland, and we just don't see it happening. So it's one of those, like you said, draft and holds. I can see the appeal. Um, there's going to be a lot of regular drafts you have where he, he gets – doesn't get taken even or gets taken super late depending mm-hmm. on what, what news comes out of spring training. Cause like if halfway through spring training, all of a sudden they're like, okay, Greg Holland's our closer. Well, yeah, that changes this whole conversation. 
Well, and but, so here's yeah. here's the strategy with Greg Holland. If you're in like a 15 team league and you're drafting early, so like in Barf, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be a 13 or a 14 person league. Like, use your last round pick on Greg Holland, just in case by the time we get to opening day that they give him the role. Exactly. Because then you got a closer. But yeah. like, don't don't be spending like a, a top 20 round pick on the dude. In, in virtually any format, and don't go into the season being like, okay, this is my number two closer. No, this should be like your number three, number four closer, exactly. depending on the depth of your league. Yeah, and that's, that's a great point. It's like a lot of closers, people don't realize that just because they're on bad teams, their overall peripherals are bad. If you're looking for saves, a lot of closers get 20-plus saves. It's just a matter of how do you want to you know deal with it, and Greg Holland's that question mark. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about another question mark, Hunter Strickland. We know him very well, Justin. Um, the basket case, the mental midget that is Hunter Strickland. And there's got to even be more than what we witnessed for the reason the Giants wouldn't give him $1.5 million, but the Mariners would. So, um, And I'm not heartbroken over that, to tell you the truth. But he, like, if we, if we take his name away and what we know about him, his stuff is back of the bullpen stuff. Mm-hmm. We've seen it work when he's making it work. And right now he's going to pick 546. He's going to be competing for the closer's job in Seattle. Now, how do you look at a guy like Hunter Strickland and can then compare him to like Greg Holland in your drafts? I'd much rather have Hunter Strickland. Yep. I think he is probably the closer to start the season, barring any trades that Trader Jerry does uh, in Seattle prior to the start of the season. But way things are shaping up right now, I'm, I would guess he, he is the closer over Swarzak. Uh, and he's got the stuff to be a pretty dominant closer if, like you said, his head is kind of screwed on straight. I don't know why the Giants decide. The only thing I can think of is the Giants thought that they were an outside competitor for Bryce Harper and that if they had Strickland on the roster, there was no chance. <laughs> and that wouldn't that, work very well. <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, Harper would sign there. So I think they, they took the shot, the outside shot that – uh, Harper would eventually agree to come to San Francisco and just, you know, cut bait on Strickland. That being said, the, the skills have always been fantastic for Strickland. And uh, he was a guy that I felt they should have just given the role to instead of uh, signing Mark Melanson. Uh, they never did, but this is a chance right now, new, new stadium, new, uh, new team. It's, it's not a bad uh, park for him. So while leaving, uh, AT&T is always, you know, a, a downgrade in terms of park factors. It's not much of one. Um, you know, I, I do worry a little bit about what the defense is going to look like in Seattle and how that could affect virtually all the pitchers uh, for the Mariners. Uh, that being said, I think Strickland will be fine. And uh, I think he is kind of an under-the-radar uh, uh, saves candidate that people aren't really giving enough attention to. Yeah, it, it's weird, and it'll be fun to, you know, as you obviously know, and some people are learning is you go to the NFPC ADP, and again, ADP is not end-all, be-all, but it's a good gauge of what's going on, and you can kind of, you can adjust the dates of how things happen. You know, I gave you from January 1st, I'd be interested to see, you know, when February hits March, like from February 1st to March to see, he's 545 now, I wouldn't be shocked if he's maybe a top 20 closer by then. Cause I agree with everything you said is he's got that ability to be really good. If he is keep it together, the strikeout stuff's great. He, he'll get a little messy at times, but you know, people love Brian Wilson back in the day. And that was never fun. That was always roller coaster. Um, Hunter Strickland stuff. I think is better than Brian Wilson's. So there is a lot to like there's Seattle's a team that even though they're rebuilding with Jerry DePoto is they're still, you know, they look at their overall roster. They're going to be more competitive than people think. Um, 
I don't think they're going to go out there obviously and win like 90 games, but they could be a 500 team. They could be five games under 500 and that's 70 plus win. Uh, you get half those in saves. You, you got a, a lockdown closer. Um, and that's, that's by the upper, you know, 10% outcomes, but still a lot to like there with Hunter Strickland. So I agree with you there. He definitely, I, I'd be shocked if somehow Swarzak takes the job from Hunter Strickland. That's, that's one of those really weird ones. And to bring it all back is yes. I don't know how the giants didn't give him $1.5 million. Don't get it. Wrong. Yeah. I don't, I don't get that either from just a team perspective. The giants don't have a lot of talent. So why are you giving up cheap talent? Yeah, because I understand the whole idea of I'm trying to believe in the philosophy of our new GM, and I agree, you know, save some cash. This is going to be a couple-year project. I, I like what he does. The track record speaks for itself. And, you know, going and getting Drew Pomeranz for 1.5, you can love or hate Drew. I get the cheap, no-risk, you know, upside-type play. I get it. But, uh, yeah, going and, and getting rid of Strickland, and now they this ago they pick Andriotti or whatever his name is, the outfielder for Texas – off the waiver wires or, or um, somewhere, and they just designated Derek Law for assignment. So now it's two hard throwing righties. Ready? Mm-hmm. Not sure what's going on. <laughs> but uh, this isn't a Giants podcast. So let's go back to some transactions. Neil Walker is an interesting one. He's going on pick six thirty five. He's projected to hit fifth in the Marlins order. Yes, some platoon possibilities, but if you look at all the advanced stats on Baseball Savant, he didn't quite reach potential last year. He's 33 years old. Do you have any desire for Neil Walker? Not really. I think uh, he is probably at the end of his, at the end of the line for him. This is not a good park for him to hit in either. It's gonna, you know, suppress sure. some of the power he has. I think he likely will platoon at times, uh, either with like uh, Peter O'Brien or Garrett Cooper if he's completely healthy coming into the season. So that limits his upside. I just, I, I mean, outside of maybe NL only is kind of a reserve kind of player. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of value. Yeah, it's going to be interesting with him. It's like if he can get 130 games, eh, there might be something there. But there are a lot of moving parts. I think that. a lot of moving parts that I could see him getting traded. That's mm-hmm. what I see happening. And if he's, he's traded, he's, a, he's going to be a backup. Yeah. He's just going to be death for a team. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the killer right there. Um, one last move. It's another guy going after pick 500, going pick 511. Freddie Galvis, who was actually decent, um, not really jumping off the page, but he was a decent middle infielder in a deep league. Or, a, a, you know, if a guy got hurt, you could fill him in for a little bit. He wasn't great, but he's going to Toronto. He's projected to be the everyday shortstop moving Lourdes Correal to second base. Um, you know, it means Bo Bichette's probably sitting down for a little bit longer. But um, what are your thoughts on Freddie Galvis in Toronto? I think, again, he's just a placeholder for, for Bichette. Bichette will be up uh, halfway through the season uh, and, and maybe even earlier than that, depending on how he kind of starts the year in the minors. Uh, but he's a, he's a good defensive player, which will be helpful to guys like Marcus Stroman, uh, who you know is a ground ball pitcher on that turf. So I think in that regards, he is an interesting guy for the first half as – uh, he could be a little bit of an accumulator. He's not going to hit at the complete bottom of the lineup. Uh, and it is a decent park. It's a little bit of a you know park upgrade considering uh, he was in San Diego last year. Uh, I could see him doing like, I don't know, hitting eight home runs, stealing eight bases in a half se- in the, you know the first half of the season. So 
if you're in a league where there is some replacement value, so like a 15-team or a 12-team league, uh, he's probably not viable in a 12-team league. But like as a, a reserve guy in a 15-team league, he's kind of interesting. Or in like a draft and hold where uh, you, you grab Freddie Ga- uh, Galvis, but you also grab Bo Bichette. So that way when Bichette's okay. ready, you just kind of replace them. Uh, I think that's probably the best spot for him. Yeah, outside of, say, Hunter Strickland, all the guys we just talked about there, I think a lot of these guys are interesting, possible, like, draft and hold players mm-hmm. because they all have really interesting upside where you wouldn't be shocked if they had, like, a week or two streak where they just, they played really, really well. But there's other weeks where there's like, kill a regular, like, Roto League that you're and They're in. all going super late. Exactly. So I think, like I said, you know, all of them are after pick 500. So you can definitely um, have some fun there. I think Strickland, moral of the story, I think Strickland's the one – that's going to be fun to see where his pick ends up here in the next month or two and definitely has some upside um, as a closer for Seattle. All right, let's go to the third base preview here. It's a fun position, a lot of, you know, star power up top, and it gets kind of interesting after the top, you know, eight or so. Um, a lot of kind of pick your poison guys, um, who you stand on the fence with. Let's kick it off. Jose Ramirez, he's leading the way. He's going third overall in a lot of drafts as low as eighth. His ADP is around four. He's the consensus number one first baseman or third baseman to many. Um, do you believe in this little pudgy guy to keep doing what he's doing, you know, with the power and the speed? I don't know if he can do it to the extent that he did it last year, but I mean, I don't think anything we saw is uh, uh, like a fiction of any sort. I think he is totally capable of hitting 30 home runs. I think he's totally capable of stealing 30 bases. I don't know if he's going to do both in the same season again. But we saw what his upside was last year, and that's the upside of pretty much the best player in fantasy for the majority of the season last year. So uh, I, I just had this discussion with uh, Paul Spore over on the Sleeper and the Bust, and I said, you know, I, I can't take him in the top three because I prefer Lindor, Betts, and Trout. But the more and more we talked it out, I go, you know what? I probably could take him over Lindor because third base is not nearly as deep as shortstop is this year. And if we're looking for a way to split hairs – and have a tiebreaker, maybe I take the guy in the in the position that is a little bit shallower and he's likely to gain second base eligibility back in season. So I think maybe that's the tiebreaker and he should be my third player overall off the board. But either way, I mean, dude's a stud. Uh, he's only 26 years old. I think there's this thought process in the industry that or among fantasy players that he's older than he actually is, but he's still super young and, and has, you know, room to grow in terms of, you know, his age. So uh, I, I'm all over Jose Ramirez. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's scary. He's only 26 years old and, you know, people, you know, Matt Thompson, other prospect guys will tell you that 27 to 29 window, mostly made back towards 29 that really hit that peak. So there might still be more, you know, power development or more average like contact skills, which it's hard to imagine because his are so pretty much elite as it is. But um, I agree. Third base, it, it's really good at the top, but after like the first 80 picks, eight of them are gone or so. Mm-hmm. So then it gets really, really like there's 10 of them gone before pick 76 right now. And then it gets really, really murky. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with that concept because shortstops you guys did, I think at sleeper on the bus shortstop preview, which is very understandable because when I've dug into the shortstop position, there's guys after the 20th shortstop, I have no problem as my starting shortstop or at worst, a middle infielder. 
when it comes to third base, it's a little different. So, yeah, I mean, do you really yeah. want to go into your season with Evan Longoria or Jaime <laughs> Candelario as your everyday third baseman in a 15-team league? I don't. And so that's why when there's a, when I have a tie, I, I don't usually worry about position eligibility. I mean, outside of I love guys with multi-position eligibility, but I don't usually worry about position scarcity outside of catcher until we start talking about tiebreakers. So if I like guys pretty much just the same, that's when I start going, okay, would I rather have a shortstop or would I rather have a third baseman? Oh, I'd rather have a third baseman because I can get shortstops later. Yep, that's a great point. Uh, the second third baseman coming off the board right now, you have Milan Arenado, just got a fatty payday uh, for his arbitration years. And the, he, when you talk about consistency, Nolan Arenado is consistent, and he plays in Coors Field. The power, the run production is going to be amazing. The average is there. He just doesn't steal. To me, that's the biggest differentiator between him and Jose Ramirez. But do you see Nolan as still the clear number two, or are, you, are there any you know points of con- concern there? I think he's the clear number two, and I think – uh, there, there are people within the industry and, and just regular fantasy players that are a little concerned about the fact that he doesn't steal uh, and they want guy with, with the kind of the lack of stolen bases in the game. There's this idea that you need to get a five-category contributor with your first hitter. And while I get that feeling and I tend to go after guys like Trey Turner or, or Jose Ramirez or, or Francisco Lindor in the first round because they are five-category contributors, Aaron Otto's a stud and like the idea that he's going as late as you know on average like the 10th pick overall uh feels like a disrespect to what he's done over the course of the last four seasons and he's got four straight seasons with at least 665 plate appearances at least 37 uh home runs at least 110 RBIs and I mean he hasn't hit below 287 uh, in each of those four seasons, and that was back in 2015 when he did that. Uh, I mean, he's at 290 or above the last three years. So, like, you don't get much more stable and, you know, elite production out of a guy than uh, Arenado. And there's plenty of ways to get speed later on. I think people are overreacting once again to kind of the, the lack of stolen bases because, one, there are guys you can get stolen bases later, but, two, if there are less stolen bases available in total, that means you only that means you need less stolen bases Bingo. to compete in a category, and so you don't need to like overspend on them. You can you can kind of put it together, and there's always stolen base guys that kind of show up out of nowhere. Uh, you know, whether it you know be you know a Gerard Dyson or Rajay Davis or Jonathan VR, you know, was a huge deal and then disappeared, and then was a huge deal again. There'll be those guys out there. Uh, that you can get aggressive with on fab uh, if you're really struggling. And stolen bases are usually pretty easy to trade for, too. So um, uh, Arenado should be a top eight pick in every, in every draft. And he's not this year, which is kind of nice for us. Yeah, it makes the drafting towards the back not a problem at all. I will gladly take Nolan Arenado any chance I get. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned the stolen basing. It doesn't bug me at all because... You look, you look at uh, the landscape of baseball now, like you said, A, there's not as many stolen bases usually, and B, as you've done your research, and I've seen when I do mine, there's a lot of guys that are going to get you 15 to 20 steals. Mm-hmm. So now just go and get you know, a couple extra ones of those as you go through your draft, and next thing you know, you're just fine. So well, just pair them with like Whit Merrifield, and there you go. There's yeah. your there's there's a beautiful start. You know, two of your first three picks to start a draft. You know, Arenado, a pitcher, and Whit Merrifield, and you've got to be feeling pretty good about your start of your team. 
Yeah, big Whit Merrifield fan here. People might like, I actually haven't heard it yet, but I had him as my number one second baseman, and uh, I haven't heard it yet. Whoa, but, whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, I know. Bold prediction, but uh, wow. Okay, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I, I'm I'm a big uh, Whit fan. I understand your your rationale, but I I think you're a little crazy, my friend. Yeah, no, I've been told that by many people, including my wife. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I it is it is a little weird, but I just don't believe in a guy. We'll talk about in two sections from here. But uh, I'll get your take on that. Let's talk about Alex Bregman. He's a third, third baseman off the board right now, going a couple picks after Arenado at pick 12. He's got the elbow issue, supposed to be fine by opening day. The kid is electric. He's entertaining. He's a Twitter force. Uh, on the field, he's great. Um, there's What's not to like about him unless you just don't like enjoying life. But, you know, another guy, he really, really exploded last year. To me, it could be a ceiling. I don't know if there's much more to come. But if that's the case, it's still very good. What are your thoughts on Alex Bregman? You know, I'm kind of torn, and this is something I talked about with Paul recently, is just I don't know what to expect with the elbow. Is he going to miss time? He was a slow starter last year, and it kind of put – I mean, in spite of the fact it was a career year for him, it almost put a little bit of a damper on a season because he started slow. Uh, that being said – we're talking about a guy who has kind of ticked down and stolen bases. Is that going to continue to happen? Or was that because of the elbow? I mean, sometimes people don't think about the fact, like, when you're stealing bases, you're putting your arms at risk. You're putting your hands and your fingers and your elbow at risk. One of the reasons why I think Elvis Andrews kind of stopped stealing when he came back from his broken elbow is because he didn't want to re-injure the elbow. And so this is something he dealt with all of last year. And actually, you know, I think some people have said that he may have been dealing with it before. Does this mean he's more likely to steal going into 2019 if that's all healthy? And then the question becomes, will he be healthy for opening day? So there's a lot to kind of com- uh, kind of com- or, uh, contemplate with Alex Bregman. That being said, I still think he's a first round pick. Uh, he's 24 years old. He's still growing uh, into the, all his power. Hit 31 home runs last year. Dude's a stud in one of the best lineups in baseball. Uh, I'll have uh, a number of shares of Bregman this year. When you're drafting a guy like Bregman, and we, we talked about it with, with Ramirez, you know, position flexibility is great. You're not really focusing on it as much early on, but it's obviously a plus. Mm-hmm. He's going to have shortstop. He's going to have third base. Are you playing him at third or is like I know obviously it dictates how your draft plays out, but do you plan on playing him at third over shortstop? I mean, more than likely, yeah, because yeah. if I'm taking Bregman, then I'm not as worried about getting a third baseman later on, but it's nice to have the ability to move him kind of shortstop or – because, I mean, if you're getting Bregman, then you're not likely getting one of the six shortstops, the shortstop studs. Mm-hmm. So then maybe you don't want to wait, you know, and grab a shortstop later because I – really don't like the middle tiers of shortstop. I like like the first and the fourth tier, and that's about it. Yeah, um, so maybe he ends up playing shortstop. Just having the eligibility is nice, though, in case someone gets hurt or you want to get a little kind of crazy in draft. Uh, I just love those guys who, especially in it, I play a lot of daily leagues. I don't know. Uh, you know, I do play a number of weekly leagues or, or leagues in which you can make changes midweek. But for the most part, I play a lot of daily leagues. And this year, the season is starting earlier than it ever has before. There are more days off than there ever have been before. So having these guys who've got multi-position eligibility is really going to be valuable for those off days in a daily format where you can move guys around and maximize the amount of plate appearances you're getting for your team. 
So I don't think it matters where you play him initially. You're going to end up playing him in different spots. That's a great point. And uh, I remember Todd Zola last year, he covered all how that affected like the, the two pitch starters. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's a topic we don't hear as much about the position players, but it's huge. And um, it definitely has an impact. And that's one reason why the number four third baseman, Javi Baez, is big. Second base, shortstop, third base eligibility. He's going around pick 15. A lot of people have him as one of the top second basemen. I have Whit Merrifield over him. I'll listen to Altuve's argument there. I can understand that. But I am concerned with Javi Baez. It's like he's either going to be the exception to the rule and he's just going to have a weird hit, like overall hit metric, but just be phenomenal. Or there is going to be regression, which he'll still be very good to me, but it's going to knock him back like 15 picks or so. How do you look at Javi Baez? Because I, I understand both sides of the spectrum. I'm just on one. What side are you on? I'm somewhere stuck in the middle of, <laughs> of those. Uh, I was really down on have not necessarily really down on Javi Baez, but I, I was willing to take the Aussie Albies and the Ian Haps uh, RIP uh, yeah, of what the world. There? Yeah, uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later. But uh, I was willing to take those guys who were going around the same spot as uh, Baez because I just hate the plate skills. I mean, you look at the underlying plate skills of what he does, and there's no conceivable way that he should be able to turn a 45% O swing, a 68.5% uh, contact rate, a 17.9% swinging strike rate into what he did last year. It just it doesn't make sense. Like there's like nobody who has that poor of plate discipline and contact ability uh, should hit 290. And the fact that then you add in he walked less than 5% of the time, this is like there's no way he should be able to do what he did last year, but he did. Um, and so it's in the range of outcomes. Do I, do I believe that uh, he can hit 34 home runs? Yes. I think he's a 30 home run hitter. I, I have no problem buying that. I have no problem buying that the Cubs lineup around him is good enough for him to get 180 runs uh, plus RBIs. Okay, I can buy that. Mm-hmm. I think the speed comes down a little bit, uh, you know, back down to the 15 to 17 stolen base range. So right there you're talking about a guy who should be a second rounder mm-hmm. uh, no matter what average he hits for because that average has got to come back down to earth a little bit. I think he's like a totally. 265, 270 yes. hitter. Um, and I think he is going to be one of those guys that, you know, there are going to be years where he puts up these 280s, 290s, and then there's going to be years where he puts up like a 240, like very Rugnet Odor-esque, kind of a rich man's Rugnet Odor, um, which has a lot of value, but I'm not paying a first-round price tag for that. Exactly. And that's my biggest thing is every time I make my arguments, I'm, I'm trying to tell people I'm not putting him down. I think he's a really no. good ball player, like a really good ball player. I would take him around 20. Yeah, and I'm okay with like I'll, like I said I'll, I can deal with that. Like, give me into the second round, and it's like okay if I if I'm on you know pick three, and all of a sudden he's still sitting there on the second round. Well, yeah, let's go. I, I I'll go there, but you know at the end of the first round, I'm looking at a lot of different pieces there that that probably don't involve Javi Baez, mm-hmm. and that's just the tricky part. It's it's like people are either in love with them or they hate them, but that middle ground like you're in, and I, I kind of feel like I am at times. They, they don't want to hear that argument. It's like, it's like pick your side and figure I it out. I think part of it, too, is, one, he was a, a top prospect. He was one of the top prospects in baseball. People still remember that pedigree. Two, he is extremely likable. He's and electric. he's really fun to watch. And yeah. so, I mean, the, while those things don't necessarily have 
a true life fantasy value, uh, people give them that value and they're willing to excuse things because they go, oh man, look how electric he is. Look how fast his hands move uh, on the field when he's tagging guys out. Uh, you know, look how much power he's got in that swing. And that power is legit, but so is the, the remarkably bad plate skills. I mean, very few people get away with what he does uh, uh, at the plate. Um, and he may be one of those guys that is a unicorn in terms of uh, being able to do things in the way he does without huge repercussions. But like, there's no reason to think that he's not going to regress back to what we saw in 2017, which was 23 home runs, 10 stolen bases, and 273, 317, 480 triple slash. Mm-hmm. Those are really good numbers. Yep. But those aren't first round numbers. And even if you, you know, bump those up a little bit for, you know, 600 plus plate appearances, you're talking about a guy who's hitting 28 home runs, stealing, you know, 14 bags and hitting 270. That's yep. not what you want out of your first round pick. Totally agree. Let's talk about a teammate of his. He's the fifth third baseman off the board, pick 35. He's one of the topics of conversation of bounce back candidates all over the place. 27 years old, coming off a pretty good injury last year. Chris Bryant. Um, this was an end of the first round, early second round pick last year. Now you're getting them in the third round in 15 team drafts. Are you buying into the bounce back that is Chris Bryant? As long as he's healthy and it looks like he is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is one of those guys that at some point, if as long as the shoulder doesn't completely deteriorate on him and, and kind of ruin a, a once promising career, uh, dude is going to hit 45, 50 home runs one year. I mean, he's got that type of power and swing uh, in his bat. It's just a matter of when it happens, not a matter of if, as long as he's healthy. And that's the biggest question right now is, is he healthy? And he's already been swinging a bat. Supposedly he feels uh, up to full strength and he's not feeling any pain. So uh, until I see otherwise, I'm going to proceed like he is. And I think he's kind of a steal where he's going. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. It's hard to pass up this kind of deal. Like there's always every year we have bounce back candidates and some of it's just kind of fodder. And this seems really legit. He's young. It was, you could, you could point, I'd say 75% or more of the issues really did come from that injury. It's really say, hard to say. Yeah, more than that. I, yeah. I'm I trying to think the steam, I'm trying to take the steamer projections of it and be cautious, but um, yeah, 75%. It's probably like 90%. Like you're saying mm-hmm. um, the offense around him is still great. Uh, the run production is going to be there. The power is legit. The average is it was still consistent even without the the power last year. It's hard to say he's not going to find it unless he is hurt and he's just not telling us. So I'm 100% on board with you there. All right. It's that time of the podcast. The Vladimir Guerrero Jr. time of the podcast. He's going around pick 44. I, he's going to be probably the most fun guy to have on your roster this year, just like Ronald Acuna was last year. But is Vlad Guerrero Jr., a kid we have never seen play in the major leagues, a kid that might miss the first two weeks of the year, not a big deal, going at the end of round three, is he worth that price tag, Justin Mason? Oh, this is a hard one for me to answer because I really expected him to be going higher at this point. That's true. Uh, he hasn't moved. He's pretty much stuck in this little world. Yeah, I mean, sure. that's the, th- the thing about, like – the cool thing about the NFBC ADP and one of the reasons I think you and I both like using it is that uh, you can, uh, you can adjust the dates Mm -hmm. and by adjusting the dates, 
you see that he hasn't gone in the second round since or this year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just he's been kind of stuck in this, you know, pick 30 to pick 50 range, which I don't have a problem with. My issue really was uh, that you started seeing people like Clay Link, the, you know, the aforementioned Clay Link, <laughs> taking him 18th overall in a draft in Arizona at the Arizona Fall League this year. And I was just like, oh, my God, they're going to be people taking him. And I yeah. still think there will, you know, especially as main event drafts start going. They're going to be people who take him in, in the first and second round. And I, I think that's a mistake. Um, I just why, – why are you taking a guy that's never seen major league pitching that early? And I, I do think he could be a truly special talent. Um, I, I just did, or I'm, I'm currently in an NFBC slow draft right now, and I had the first overall pick. And when it got back to me in the second round for picks 30 and 31, I seriously contemplated taking uh, Guerrero uh, just because I was like, well, this will be my only shot. Exactly. Um, but I ended up going with uh, Severino and uh, Whit Merrifield instead, and I feel pretty good about that decision. Uh, at the end of the day, Grow is going to be, I think, a stud and a superstar, and it probably will be at some point this year. But the fact that he doesn't steal bases, um, we don't know what that offense around him is going to look like necessarily. I just think you can get pretty much uh, the same kind of guy uh, in in the rounds around him. So I'm probably not going to end up with a ton of shares. I'll get one somewhere, just, just yeah. to say I did. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not paying a top 30 pick price for him. If, if you know, there are some of these leagues where he's going outside the top 45. That's for me, the sweet spot for him. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like, he's going to be so much fun to own. You're going to want a piece of him. I think I was in an auction draft last year with their boys from the nasty cast. And I went and paid like two extra dollars to get Ronald Acuna. Cause I just wanted him. I, I, I wanted him on my team. So I get all that. that that's a hundred percent there. But like in these competitive leagues, I think the only reason why, Clay Link or these other guys in like the main events are going to take him early is it's the story you've heard from like Vlad Sedler and others is if you want to win the whole thing, you have to take those chances on the big ones. If you want to win just your league, you can play it safer. Well, and see, I think that's a a misnomer. I think that's, you know, I've talked with Rob Silver the year he won it. He didn't do that. He did the exact opposite. He -hmm. took advantage of all the other people doing that and got the guys coming off of bad years uh, you know, got guys who maybe were a little bit older and uh, less valued while other people are making those kind of big splashy picks. Uh, I think there is, I mean, you can take the shots with one or two of those guys in a draft, but if you start loading up your team with those guys, which a lot of people do, you're not going to hit all of them. The majority of guys that come up from the minor leagues are not successful. I mean, we, we've seen it over and over and over again that people fail in their first go around in spite of the fact that they're elite hitters. Mike Trout failed in his first go around. You know, we just saw last year, one of the top prospects in baseball, Kyle Tucker come up and be truly atrocious, atrocious in his first go around. Now Vlad has the benefit of being on the blue Jays who are going to suck anyways. So once they bring him up, he's up to stay, but like don't yeah. be one of these people that loads up in these overall competitions with just young talent because that's a good way to finish seventh in your league too. And that's a great point. Like the trout one always comes back. You got you know even Glaber Torres last year he came out on fire. He ended the year pretty quietly. Mm-hmm. Like people don't think about that. So yeah, I, I love Vlad. I can't wait to watch Vlad. I might go to Oakland to watch him play. Like everything about him, awesome. 
But uh, it's tough because you got guys right after him, like Anthony Rendon, going pick 46. Two picks later, I would take Rendon all day long. Yeah, Eugenio Suarez, eighth guy off the board at pick 54. I, I think, Suarez. Yeah, I've, this sucks finally because he has been like my sleeper third baseman for the last two years because I think he's tremendous. I think I have him. Him and Rendon, I have moved up my rankings compared to what NFBC has, just their consistency, their overall production. Suarez isn't a sleeper anymore. It sucks. Mm-hmm. The facts, it is what it is. But, like, Rendon and Suarez, how do you look at them? And I'm assuming you'd probably maybe take them over Guerrero. I don't know, maybe not. But what's your thoughts on Rendon and Eugenio Suarez? I think they're both kind of appropriately ranked right now. I like Suarez a little bit more just because uh, he, he kind of gives that premium power. But Rendon's one of those guys that, while he's not going to uh, be like the sexy pick that I think a lot of people want, uh, he's going to contribute in every category. And I think there is a little bit maybe more in that profile than uh, meets the eyes. Hey, oh, I was just about to say the Giants are playing the Blue Jays this year, but uh, they're playing in Toronto. In Toronto. That's unfortunate. Well, that's very unfortunate for the Giants and us. For us, yeah. <laughs> Screw the Giants. I want to go yeah. see. I want to go see Vlad hit. But Rendon is an interesting guy um, and well worth the ADP. Uh, the problem is usually at that point, that's when I'm nabbing some pitchers. Yeah. Uh, and so I tend to miss out on him. I wouldn't be disappointed to have him on my team. I just don't think I'm going to have a lot of shares. Suarez is is a guy that I'm going to have lots of shares of. I think I already have like two shares already uh, this year. Uh, I just love the power potential in that ballpark. That lineup is already very, very good and mm-hmm. about to get much better as they've added guys like uh, Yesel Puig. There's talk that the Senzel is going to transition into the outfield. Uh, and potentially uh, be kind of the leading candidate for the opening day center field job. Uh, that That's going to be a really interesting lineup, really interesting team. Uh, so I'm going to have some shares of Suarez because he's going about 10 picks later. No, I like that a lot. Would you take either or both of those guys over Vlad? Mm, I'd probably take Suarez over him. Probably not going to take Rendon. Okay. Yeah, I love Suarez. I over the moon for him, so I'm curious to see how that ends on next Saturday between mm-hmm. the two of us. That'll be fun. You and but, I always uh, fight over players, so yeah, it's, it's a we weird, don't know where the draft thing. order is yet. I'm still waiting on Eno so I can final, fi- finalize that draft order. Uh, I'm hoping I'm not near you or not near Sammy because those <laughs> yep. two are the ones that always kind of screw me over. Yeah, sitting next to Sammy last year was a pain in the ass. Like I literally had to like guard my computer screen because mm-hmm. it, it was so frustrating. And then you know Sammy walking around just laughing. <laughs> well, it, it, it'll be even worse if they if the Padres signed Harper before the start of that draft. Oh, it'll be great because it'll be one guy taken too early, so it'll be awesome. Um, <laughs> let's talk. Uh, we we drop off from Suarez at fifty five all the way down to seventy two with a guy I just can't go with but I, I respect the skills Miguel Andohar picked 72 what's your thoughts on the Yankees youngster who can't play defense and they're, yeah. they're always trying to replace him yet he hits the crap out of the baseball that's the thing it's the defense that scares me I, I think he's got legit power uh, I see no reason why offensively he can't be a very valuable fantasy piece the problem is he is truly atrocious defensively uh, to the point where I thought they were destined to sign Machado and just move him over to first base, which would have kind of been perfect for that Yankees team. And I still don't understand why they haven't done it, uh, other than the fact that they're just being cheap for some reason. Uh, at the end of the day, I think he's going to play because they don't really have another viable option to play third base. And I know some people are going to say LeMahieu 
and LeMahieu is not the kind of piece they want on that team. The the issue with Andiar is if he struggles offensively at all, his defense will not keep him in the field. He is the anti Matt Chapman, uh, and that is a big issue uh, for uh, for a, for a real life team. If you're going to give up runs defensively, um, it's going to going to cost you in playing time. And so I have a hard time believing that he is a guy that can uh, you know get the 600 play appearances. Uh, considering how bad his defense is. I mean, if you look at like his fan graphs war numbers, he, he got a positive uh, 21 uh, wins from, from his offensive profile, negative 15 and a half. That's not good, Bob. From, from his defense. <laughs> so he ended up being, in spite of the fact that his offensive numbers were just amazing, his defensive numbers made him only a 2.7 war, uh, wins above replacement player last year. Uh, defense doesn't matter for fantasy, but it really does. It, it matters yeah. a lot, and people don't talk about it enough. Uh, and this is one of those guys I think it's going to matter. Uh, I kind of fall in line with what Steamer has projected for him. That's uh, 139 games played, 24 home runs, uh, 83 runs batted in, about a 280 average. That's a very good player. Is that what I want on my corner? Probably not, though. Yeah, I'm with you there, and uh, I'm really concerned. You know, when DD comes back, does Glaber move over to third? Do they, there's so many moving parts there, like you said. Nah, Glaber's going to play second. I don't think Glaber's got the the chops for third necessary. Maybe, yeah, because I'm just worried they'll try a lot of things if he's not hitting. That's the thing. And like a whole other podcast for another day is I don't understand how Luke Voigt is the guy they are comfortable going to the season with as the let alone first baseman, but. Maybe he is legit. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not there. <laughs> but then again, they started the last two years with, um, yeah, what's his name? Because we don't remember anymore. Greg but, Bird, uh, baby. Yeah, I know. Greg Bird, who everyone wanted to draft because he was the best. And yeah, we saw uh-huh. that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I still get a lot of crap for the Baez stuff and I get crap for other things. But no one wants to talk to me about Greg Bird or Dansby Swanson anymore. They never want to talk to you about the good things. Uh, never. Yeah. But uh, Dansby Swanson bounce back season, right? No? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, <laughs> when you only have to go about three inches high, it's not hard to bounce back. <laughs> Ooh, he went there. Um, let's go to the 10th third baseman off the board, and then we'll start rapid firing through some of these. Um, going pick 75 right behind Miguel Andujar. Matt Carpenter coming off an insane season. He'll be leading off for the Cardinals. He's got a big power bat and Goldschmidt behind him. A, similar to Andujar, a concern of mine that's not talked about a ton it's him moving from first base to third base. We know that throwing issue and his defense there. He's obviously not going to get taken off the field because I continue to see him hitting the baseball. But what's your thoughts on Matty Carpenter, um, tenth third baseman off the board? I like Carpenter. Uh, I mean, I was, I've, I've been kind of painted into the the sleeper in the bus hate on uh, Carpenter uh because we uh, as a as a group were lower on him because we were afraid of the injury and then when he started off so slow it was kind of like a little bit of confirmation bias and we were wrong and as much as i, I don't feel like i was as low as maybe the other guys uh i was part of the group that was like yeah no it's okay drop him for justin turner that's okay <laughs> I, I was with them i dropped him in tgfbi yeah so that being said uh he's proven that he's healthy now, if he can play third base full time or not, that is a question. But they've always got the option of moving him over to second base. You know, it's not like Colton Wong is keeping him from playing uh, every day if they need to move him to second. Uh, but they obviously feel comfortable enough that they were willing to go out and not only trade for Goldschmidt, but they're in talks right now for a long term deal with him. So 
I'm not necessarily worried about his health. I think we can kind of pretty much expect him to hit 28, 29, 30 home runs, 250 average, really nice walk rate, uh, great counting statistics because of the team he plays on. Uh, and he's going to at least have first base and third uh, base eligibility to start the season. And like I said, with potential to add second base in the season, uh, one of those guys that is just a really nice plug for any part of your infield. If something gets hurt, if something you know goes awry during your draft uh, and you're having trouble filling another position, you can kind of slide him over and cover. So, uh, and again, like I said, in your daily leagues, it's nice to have a guy who can move around, to, you know, you know, a few different spots and kind of plug holes for you on days off and, and rain delays and or, uh, or cancellations and stuff like that because of rain. Uh, Carpenter's the guy that I'm again going to have a number of shares of. Yeah, definitely. And if you can work on that opposite field approach, you go to baseball savant. They showed his uh, his 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 numbers versus the shift, and every year they shift him more and more. It's it's ridiculous how often they shift him now. And his numbers, they have hurt, even though he's hitting with all that power. That's why his average is dropping tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, if he can ever figure out a slap it to the left side again, again, it'll hurt his power. But it'll be very, very interesting. Um, okay, let's go 11 through 20. We're not going to go through each of them. I have a couple guys highlighted I am curious about. If there's anybody else you're curious about as well, we can talk. But uh, Josh Donaldson, he's going to pick 104. We know the story, the saga that was the injured shoulder last year. I'm really baffled on why he did not sign somewhere with a designated hitter, but he's trying to reestablish himself as an everyday third baseman. If that shoulder is a problem, we are all in trouble. Are you taking the chance to pick 104 on a guy that could hit 30-plus home runs if he's healthy? Sure, because the price drop is tremendous. I mean, he's going just inside of the top 100. This was a guy that a few years ago was a perennial first-round pick, Uh, and there's no reason to think with the way he finished out the season in Cleveland uh, after being traded there, uh, you know, he had a 240 ISO. Dude was on fire uh, and finished strong. One of the things I'm always looking for when I'm when I'm looking at guys who were dealt with injury injuries the previous season is how did they finish? Did they finish on the field and did they finish strong? Uh, Josh Donaldson checks both those boxes. There's obviously injury risk here. You know, he he, he dealt with that calf injury as well uh, that really limited him. You know, over the course of the last two seasons uh, and. He could, you know, he's older, so he could obviously not bounce back. But all the projection systems seem to kind of place him at the thirty home run mark. I don't see why he can't get there if he's on the field. So uh, give me, give me some shares of Josh Donaldson this year. Do you like the idea of Chris Bryant bouncing back or Josh Donaldson bouncing back more? Bryant. Okay, like it. All right, let's go to thirteenth third baseman off the board, going about pick one ten. Uh, Justin Turner. He is one of the best pure hitters probably in baseball. Uh, it's always a big if, though, on how much we get to see him play baseball, and you're not supposed to factor in injuries when you're, you're analyzing players for the upcoming season, but you can't ignore them when it comes to Justin Turner because it happens. Um, what's your thoughts on Turner at 110? Well, I think you have to like bake these, you know, these kind of things into people's projections and your analysis because, I mean, the most important stat uh, in uh, for hitters is plate appearances. That's that's what it is. It's are are they getting the plate appearances necessary to to be productive on the field? And uh, Turner has struggled with that. That being said, he seems healthy coming into the year. This is a loaded uh, Dodger lineup, and you're getting a huge discount. I mean, this is a guy who's gone in the top fifty and the top seventy five before now going outside uh, of the top one hundred. I, I like the discount. I'm going to have. I'm not going to have a ton of shares of Turner, but I'll have a few. I already have a couple. I, I took him and I got him and Donaldson in the Friends of Fantasy Benefits 30 team dynasty league, and I, I feel pretty good about that. 
yeah, I'm usually a guy that doesn't own Justin Turner, and I've already changed my whole mindset this year that I'll take the gamble. I, I was talking on another show about it that you got to start looking at it now with everyone getting on the DL, it seems like at least some point in the year, just the way things are working between pitchers and hitters. That is a smaller fraction of a season with a really good hitter better than saying, screw it, I know this guy plays every day. We really got to factor that into our uh, equation. Like pitching-wise, is Noah Syndergaard at 25 starts better than, you know, a guy three rounds later at 32 starts? Quite possibly. Um, Same with Justin Turner and his alternative replacement value a few rounds later. So I'm trying to start convincing myself more and more we need to start going that direction. I could be totally wrong. It could totally backfire. But, like, you know, 130 to 140 really good games of Justin Turner – might be a lot better than 162 games of Evan Longoria. Let's just put it that way. So uh, Matt Chapman, a youngster uh, in Oakland who really nice here last year. Like you said, defense is going to keep him on the field. Pick 112. Do you think uh, Matt Chapman takes another step forward or is he just kind of fine where he is? No, he's going to take another step forward. The question is how big of a step is he going to take? Uh, I mean, this is a guy that – uh, I don't think people realize like how good his underlying numbers are, how good his mm-hmm. uh, uh, his stat cast numbers are. Dude is 97th percentile in exit velocity, 93rd percentile in hard hit percentage, 81st percentile in sprint speed. I mean, like, dude is fast. Watch him play defense, and when you watch him play defense, you realize that he is an all world defender. I mean. He was getting MVP chatter last year because how good he was defensively. He's made Marcus Simeon a plus defender because Marcus Simeon only has to like worry about a three foot radius around him. Uh, it's and Marcus Simeon was like one of the worst defenders in baseball before Matt Chapman, you know, was put to his right. So, uh, like Chapman is is a great defensive player, but he's also just got a ton of potential in that bat, and he does it with the fact that he's actually got really good plate discipline. He doesn't swing outside the zone. He's got, I think, a less than 25% uh, O-swing percentage. He, you know, he, he's not a guy who's going to you know, swing and miss on pitches. He's got great contact skills. He had a seven, almost 79% contact percentage last year, 86.4% inside of the zone. And like I said, he doesn't swing outside of the zone. This guy is got one thing he needs to tweak. He needs to tweak his launch angle just a little bit. He's just under the league average that if he does, we're talking about a guy that's like, even if he does nothing, he's hitting 30 home runs next year. You can just yep. book it. Yep. If he if he makes the tweak, dude's hitting 40. Yeah, I believe it. I'm a big Chapman fan. He's going to turn 26 next year. There's a couple guys on that team. I love Matt Olson to keep doing things. Chris Davis is awesome. There's a lot of power in that lineup. That's so much fun. And at least we get to enjoy that in the Bay Area. But um, looking at a guy like Matt Chapman, do you take Chapman over Justin Turner? Yes. Over Travis Shaw? Yes. Over Josh Donaldson? Yes. Ooh, what about Matt Carpenter? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I would too. What about Miguel Andohar? Yes. Anthony Rendon? Oh, God. No, but that's close. See, so we basically just knocked him up into the top eight or nine at third base. He's going 15th third baseman off the board, about 70 picks after those guys. He should be going in the top 70 picks, and he's – he is currently going, what, 111? 112. 112, Yeah. So, I mean, I I think he he is an extreme discount 
because one of the things, like uh, like when we were talking about Andy R, like if he struggles offensively, he's going to sit down. If Matt Chapman goes through a slump offensively, he is so good defensively and so valuable to that team defensively. He's never going to sit. The only time he's going to sit is when he's hurt or when the, he just gets a regularly scheduled day off. This is a guy that as long as he's healthy, he's going to get you know 150 games played. Yeah, it's a guy that had a 6.5 Fangraphs war last year. Yep. That's pretty damn good That's for a guy amazing. at that and point. Thir- thir- yeah, I mean, 13 points of defense of yep. defensive potential. It's it's pretty awesome. All right, one last guy I wanted to ask about here in the top 20. Uh, Max Muncy, it's a guy I can't buy into. The hit tool is great. A, he was almost a career minor leaguer before last year. B, I'm worried about playing time with David Roberts over there. I know they're, they can put him in a bunch of positions. I get it. What's your thoughts on Max Muncy coming into this year? Because there's a lot of moving parts in L.A. This is a guy I'm starting to come around on a little bit, only because he does hit the ball hard, and he's got amazing plate discipline. I mean, he he, he really just – he does not swing outside of the zone. Uh, he's got pretty great contact skills for a guy with his amount of power. Uh, he's, he's a super patient hitter, and we saw it last year in the majors when he walked over 16% of the time. Uh, I think he has – you know, he's going to regress some. I don't think he's hitting 35 home runs again. I don't think he's hitting 260 again. That being said, there's no reason he can't hit 250 and still hit 30 home runs. And while there are some questions about playing time, because, I mean, right now, like, roster resource has him uh, uh, platooning. Um, The Dodgers, if you look at their lineup, the Dodgers lineup is just filled with injury-prone guys. That's just who they have on their team. One of the reasons why they have such depth on that roster is because so many of their guys get injured. I mean, seriously, look like one through five or well, one through six, if and don't include Muncie on that are all guys who've spent a lot of time in the DL over the last few years. So, and he, because he can play in so many different spots and other guys on their team could play in so many different spots. He's going to find his way to 500 plus plate appearances. Can he get to 600 plus plate appearances? Uh, that may be that may be pushing it a little bit, so that's why I'm not going to say he's going to repeat the 35 home runs. But I think there's a pretty good chance he's hitting 27, you know, to 30. Okay, that's still not a bad player at all. Um, when you're looking at NFBC, a guy going right behind him, Rafael Devers. Do you want Muncie or Devers? Um, I'm going to take Muncie, but it's not that I don't like Devers. I actually like Devers quite a bit. And a guy without a home, Mustakis or Muncie. Uh, I, I'm going to take Muncie because I know where he's going to play. Like, I don't know why people hate Mike Mustakis. No idea. But it, like, it makes no sense. And I was just talking about this with Paul, and I was like, like how he hasn't ended up in San Diego, uh, which you know is a place that could really use him, or like Cleveland. Why not put him in Cleveland? Move Jose Ramirez to second. Move Kipnis in the outfield, where they've got just holes everywhere. Uh, is beyond me. Uh, like if he signs another one, you know, one year, six million dollar deal, I'm just gonna feel bad for the guy because the guy should have been paid by now. Yeah, he's definitely one of the biggest casualties of this entire messed up system that is going on. But uh, they did it to themselves, unfortunately. But um, outside of the top twenty, it gets interesting. Um, I'll let you free flow here in a minute, but you mentioned him earlier, so I want to hear your thoughts on Ian Happ, twenty fifth off the board, pick two sixty. All right, so I mean, Happ has got multi-position eligibility. He's eligible at third base and in the outfield. Uh, I know people are are feeling really burnt by him because he, you know, hit the first pitch of the season out of the park, 
and everybody was like, oh, my God, confirmation bias time. Let's go crazy. And then he proceeded to only hit another 14 home runs and hit 233 <laughs> the rest of the way. So uh, it was, you know, very disappointing for in fans, including myself, because I had a numbers of, number of shares of, of Ian Happ, and I had bought into the hype. That being said, like, the underlying numbers aren't necessarily bad. I mean, he's not swinging outside the zone a bunch. Uh, he needs to kind of maybe shorten the swing a little bit and, and kind of improve the contact rate. But all the skills are there that made him one of the top prospects in all of baseball uh, coming into 2017 and then gave him a really nice first run in 115 games in 2017. There's no reason to think that he can't get back there and he's going to play. So uh, I like Ian Happ as a guy that is kind of post-hype. People are uh, jumping off because they feel like they were burnt by him. I think he's a guy that could legitimately hit 25 home runs with like a 250 average and uh, be that guy who kind of swings to different position for you, which is, is valuable. So especially in like a 12-team league where he's going to be on your bench, I, I think he is a pretty nice get. Yeah, the hit tool is definitely there. Going to be 25 midseason or late season. There's a lot to like, even like most of these projection sites – they got him going anywhere from 106 to 130 games, and they're still all giving him 18 plus homers. So yeah. the power's there. The power's there. Yeah, the average might be a question mark playing time, but you know, you said you like to play a lot of daily leagues. This is a great daily league late and round. Especially target. on base percentage leagues. I mean, his walk rate was 15% last year, and while that likely would kind of decrease a little bit, he should walk at still like a 12% rate. Yeah, his OBP is almost 100 points higher than his average. Uh, yep. all, that, that's that's a lot to like there. So good call on Happ. That's why I wanted to ask you about him because everyone was big on him last year, and he's still super young. So that'll be there. There's a bunch of guys here. Uh, I don't want to keep you all day, but uh, any guys after pick 20 you're looking at that uh, kind of tickles your fancy? Uh, there's, I mean, one in particular that I, I will just keep going back to until the day I die, and, and that's Miguel Sano. He's going yeah. – at around pick 220, 23rd base, uh, third baseman uh, coming off the board. Uh, this was a guy that was like a top 40 pick going into drafts last season before the news came out where he was being accused of, uh, of sexual assault. Um, and obviously nothing ever came of that in terms of being disciplined, you know, and he had other off-the-field issues this year that nothing seems to be coming of them uh, either. And so he is seemingly in line to be the everyday third baseman for the twins. Uh, another one of those best shape of uh, your life type of guys. He's coming to, uh, or he's coming to camp, I think like 30 pounds lighter than he has been in previous seasons. Uh, this is a guy who has legit 50 home run upside. Yep. And it's just a matter of how much contact he's going to make, but I'm willing to take the gamble that late for a guy that was, I, I was in on, I'll be honest. I was in on him as a top 50 player coming into last year. Uh, actually took him, I think 45th overall in the road Warrior dynasty invitational. Um, and uh, I, I'm not ready to quit him. So uh, give me all the shares of Miguel Sano. Yeah, I absolutely love him. He's got the light tower power. He's a big, big dude that if third base doesn't work, they can move him to first at some point in time. OBP leagues just like Hap. He's like another 100-point guy you know, compared to average, so a lot to like there. Uh, and that Minnesota offense, you know, it's not flashy, but it's going to be pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's going to have some fun in that in that lineup. And, it's, again, I know you've mentioned on your shows, and a lot of people still don't get it. When it heats up in Minnesota in the summertime, as, as hot as it can get, it's actually a pretty good hitter's ballpark. 
yep. people forget that. So I uh, don't frown on it just because there's the rumor. It's like people forget it is cold the first month or so. And, that and has he's a got impact. real manpower. He's like, you know, yep. he's one of those guys like Chris Davis. Like everybody was afraid when Chris Davis was moving from uh, Milwaukee over to Oakland and like, oh, no, the power is it's going to be sapped and stuff. Like some guys in Major League Baseball, Chris Davis, Miguel Sano, like they have real manpower that is not going to be stopped because they switched to a different park. Totally agree. Well, my friend, we can keep talking third basements all day, but we don't need to. People can go check out the fantasy, Friends with Fantasy Benefits draft guide for all that coverage. Uh, why don't you plug everything you have going on? I'll go use the restroom real quick, and I'll come back, <laughs> and, and you'll probably be halfway through it. What do you got? All right. Uh, well, you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason, FWFB. You can also hit me up on Facebook. Uh, just go find Justin Mason. Uh, then let's see, you can catch me over at friends of fantasy benefits where I do football and baseball podcasts. I'm also the lead fantasy writer there as well. Uh, you can catch me over on fan graphs where I write daily during the season. Uh, and I'm on the sleeper on the bus podcast about three times a week, uh, with Paul Spore, Jason Collette and Nick Pollock. Uh, then you catch me at fantasy alarm where I write football and baseball over there. Uh, may even start doing some podcasting. And then, of course, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. It has its own podcast you can find on iTunes and Stitcher, uh, as well as uh, check out TGFBI.com for kind of all the happenings over there for that. So, yeah, I think that's it. Awesome. And uh, anybody that's watching the video on YouTube, over Justin's right shoulder is a barf bucket. That hopefully – yes, he's pointing to it now. Hopefully this time next year that is sitting over my right shoulder – or right shoulder, right shoulder. And um, we we can uh, have this conversation again. But as always, my friend, thanks for joining us. I will see you next week in person in San Francisco. But always a great time. I can't wait, buddy. All right, everybody. This is Bench with Thubba, episode 141, third base preview with Justin Mason. Catch you guys later. Mm-hmm.